0: This is Real Ghost Stories Online. There's a reason people say, struggling with your demons. People oftentimes, when they are struggling with what one would loosely call their demons, it can get very dark. It can get very disturbing. It can get very scary and very dangerous. You can imagine in a prison facility, there are many people struggling with their demons. In our next story, we hear from a mental health professional who went through a very traumatic series of events. A relationship that was built with a patient, hope that was there for a time, and then traumatic news that brought that patient to their end. And then for some reason, that patient returning with a message for the doctor and almost seemingly torment for those who walked in her footsteps. Take a listen. Stephanie was a 23-year-old woman when we met. I was her therapist for two years prior to her death. During that time, I discovered an intelligent, sensitive young woman that, while guilty of her crime of drug trafficking, she was a kind person, was also quite traumatized and broken. She had told me of her desire to get to the minimum women's facility, which in the past had always been denied as she had quite the behavioral issues. I kept her ineligible for the transfer, as well as several suicide attempts that raised her safety level too high. We worked out a plan together as to how she could become eligible to be transferred. She worked so hard for six long months. No suicide attempts, no fights, no girlfriends. She got a job. She was medication compliant with her mental health medications, and she did not have one single place in the mental health infirmary. We met every few weeks and she did all her homework. Things are looking good. And so I agreed to advocate for her to be awarded a transfer. She received it. Transferred, and for many months, she did very well. After Stephanie had been in the minimum for a while, she got into a situation over there, the details of which are kind of muddled. But the part that I do know is she received some bad news from the community and was caught in the bathroom trying to hang herself with an undergarment. The mental health infirmary was full, so she ended up being placed in the segregation unit in a special cell outfitted with a camera for observation of suicidal inmates. During the time, Stephanie was over in the minimum. The mental health practitioners had all been assigned to different groups of mental health clients in the facility, and I'd been placed in the segregation unit. So when Stephanie came back over, I was assigned there. During rounds, I tried to check in with her, but all she gave me was a wave and denied wanting to talk. This was not unlike her. It was not unusual in general that people did not want to talk right after being placed. Per protocol, all that I had to get was some sort of movement, and I had received that. Knowing Stephanie, I told her I'd be back, and she nodded. But I talked with the custody staff assigned to the segregation to check on her often. Even though she was in a first cell and all she had was a suicide smock and suicide blanket, I know that people are crafty. It only takes minutes for suicide to happen. I went back to my office, I was working on some clinical notes for people I had seen earlier in the morning. We all have walkie talkie style radios, and we have them on loud, so when calls come, we can report to where we need to go. While I was rarely called by name over the radio because I was assigned to segregation, Whenever there was a call of disturbance down there, I'd go running to report, witness, and assist. If I was needed. Suddenly, the radio began squawking about sending extra officers to segregation. A call to medical to report with a medical card and a call to lock down the facility directly, which is always done so that everyone is accounted for, to minimize interference, and to allow personnel to attend to the emergency without having to deal with anyone else. Immediately, my ears perked up. Shit, I thought. My mind went into the recall of who was in SAG at that current moment, and I remembered that Stephanie was in there. The hair on my arms goose pimpled, and my heart began beating out of my chest, and I ran. I waited impatiently, pacing back and forth in front of the segregation door, waiting for control to open it and let me through. Medical right behind me. They finally let us through, and then through the next two doors, governed by control, I was breathing hard and thought my heart would explode as if we ran toward the cell where Stephanie had been placed. As we neared the cell, I could see a river of crimson coming from beneath the door and slowly spreading into the common area. My heart squeezed in my chest, and I could feel my hands go sweaty. I've learned not to show my emotions on my face, which is important in corrections because there's always someone watching you. In this case, you can bet that everyone else in the unit was watching this from their windows. I could hear some of the other inmates screaming at us to get Stephanie out of the cell. What's going on? Stephanie, Stephanie. Incarcerated people are usually victims of appalling trauma and incarcerated women tend to make family-like bonds with one another. They become very attached to one another and Stephanie had many friends in the institution. So you can only imagine how the women are watching this and freaking out. Anguish screams filled my ears but for the time being I had to stand below off to the side and watch. The amount of blood was unbelievable. I had never seen so much blood, not even when I had once walked into two rival gang members slicing one another up in a cell. The viscous liquid was splattered all over the walls and ceiling and seeped across the floor. Stephanie was covered in dark, rivulets of blood that seemed to be bubbling up out of her body from everywhere. I could see it running down her leg from her upper thigh area in a red river. I saw something glint on the bed, but then... My view was obscured as medical officers picked up Stephanie's body and placed her on a gurney other medical staff had brought. They whisked her out of the cell area and I followed, making bloody prints on the hard, shiny floor as all of us had Stephanie all over our boots. We rushed her to medical. Someone had called 911 by this time and paramedics were on their way. One officer had shoved his hands into the large wound on Stephanie's leg where I had seen the cascade of blood coming from. He desperately applied pressure, but the blood was seeping through his fingers and continuing to flow off the gurney and onto the floor. I stood next to her head, which she slowly turned towards me. She smiled. Hi, Miss Poole. Thank you. Her face was a mess of wicked slices, blood oozing out of the lacerations. My stomach churned, but I wasn't leaving her. Against protocol, I reached out to touch her hand in the act of some sort of human connection in the chaos. She squeezed my hand lightly and she let it go. Her blood smeared on my fingers. There were officers calling for more bandages to stop the bleeding. Other medical staff directing the paramedics as they ran into the medical unit. I watched them feeling as though I was kind of having an out-of-body moment. I looked back at Stephanie. Her eyes met mine. Then she was gone. The beautiful light slipped away. I turned away from the scene and went and sat in the waiting area around the corner where metal benches lined the wall. The paramedics whisked Stephanie's body out, oxygen strapped to her face. They didn't know she was gone, apparently. I sat on the bench, sweating and trying to wrap my head around what had just happened in the last ten minutes. I went to the nearest staff restroom and washed Stephanie's blood off my hands. I had other people to attend to. The woman that had witnessed the suicide needed to be offered mental health services chaplain came to segregation and between the two of us we attended everyone in segregation who wanted to talk. The next day the entire prison was still on lockdown. I checked everyone in segregation and then helped the other mental health practitioners go from unit to unit speaking with people who were having trouble dealing with the tragedy. Later in the day we were informed that when Stephanie had come over to segregation from the minimum that she had been concealing a piece of razor blade inside her body. I realized then that Stephanie had planned the suicide. Of course, she hadn't wanted to talk to me. She couldn't risk me figuring out her plan and stopping her. Then, when no one was looking, she reverted to her weapon, the piece of a razor blade, and she set to slicing her flesh all over her body, her face, arms, stomach, wrists, legs, Unfortunately, hitting her femoral artery in the process. In all, she had over 200 deep cuts in her flesh, The gash of her femoral artery was what the officers had been trying to stop from bleeding, but were unfortunately not successful. The knowledge that Stephanie had planned this, the pain that this young woman must have felt, racked me in sadness and empathy. At that moment, I felt a soft breeze behind me. My hair on the back of my neck stood up and I heard a whisper. It's okay. I'm okay now. My eyes caught movement to my left and my mind's eye... I could see a mist whirl around once up towards the ceiling and then whoosh out the office door. I shuddered reflexively. I got up and walked out of the unit to take a walk for just a minute. In the weeks following the suicide, every time an inmate was placed in the same cell where Stephanie had been, they woke up in the middle of the night screaming and had to be placed in a different cell. About a month later, someone was placed in the cell and was found unresponsive in that cell. This person had somehow cut her wrists, and had hidden herself under a blanket, and by morning had lost enough blood to be unconscious. She lived, but when I interviewed her and asked her what happened, she reported that she could hear Stephanie in the cell, and that when she had asked to be moved, no one had listened to her. She said that during the week when she had been in the cell, Stephanie's constant chattering and commands to kill herself had made her so nuts that she had indeed tried to kill herself to escape the torment. I talked to staff that had been working in the unit over the month after Stephanie's death. Three of them divulged to me that they had seen great dark shadows in that unit. One officer had transferred out of the unit, but refused to talk about why. Following the newest attempt, custody working in the unit stopped putting people in that cell until the chaplain could come out and bless the cell itself. The cell was blessed, repainted, and after that, no one reported any further activity. But, for the rest of the time that I worked there, I'd walk past doing errands and morning rounds. Sometimes, I'd catch movement out of the corner of my eye and feel the slightest breeze on my face. I don't know if it was Stephanie or not. But I would always smile and whisper, Hello? This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Want a commercial-free experience of the show with access to the world's largest audio archive of ghost stories? Sign up at Apple Podcasts right now and try it for three days free. Ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash real ghost stories.